Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord, we give you permission to do what you desire. Make our minds, hearts, and souls a fertile soil of the gospel, that your word may bear great fruit in our life. Illuminate these scriptures for us, Lord. Convict and console our hearts. Speak, for your servants are listening. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Satan is a liar. It's important for us to, to understand this very fundamental truth as we, we pursue the Lord. Jesus today is talking about some of the reality, some of the, the real reality of when we say yes to him, what that means. And, and so the enemy always wants to come in. Like the enemy, what he desires most is our separation from God our separation from each other in this life and ultimately in eternal life. So he's a liar. And because any liar who's a good liar, their lies seem reasonable. Right? If something is just like really far-fetched and crazy or ridiculous, then just like, okay, well, that's very easy to understand that, that, that that's not the truth. But a good lie seems very reasonable. And so when the enemy comes to us and he lies to us, most of the time it seems like, oh, no, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I want to focus on two lies that he often speaks to us as we choose to follow Christ and then how Jesus is speaking the truth against those lies today. So at different points in our life, and depending on, which general direction we're heading in, right? Like we're heading away from the Lord, then the enemy's gonna lie to us in one particular way. He's gonna just like, hey, don't worry about God. Like just do all the things that you wanna do. Eat, drink, be merry as much like sin doesn't exist. Like just, just keep going. But when we begin to pursue God, which clearly you are because you're either here at mass or you're joining us via live stream, then he, he turns the tables. He's like, okay, well, I know your heart is already headed towards the Lord. So he turns the tables on how he lies to us. And, and two of the lies that he speaks, I want to speak about today. One of which is, is this lie like, hey, when you begin to really give your life over to God, then all of your relationships are going to get better. I mean, everything, and at, and at every time, like, you begin to give your life over to the Lord, like, all your relationships are going to get better. Everything is going to get smooth. And then there's another lie that he speaks that, well, you know, if you turn, if you really submit and turn your life over to the Lord, because the Lord is, I mean, he's powerful and provident and loving. He's a protector. And so you're not going to have any serious suffering in your life. Like, if you surrender to the Lord, and you won't have any serious suffering in your life. These are two lies of the enemy for, for those of us who are pursuing God. And so what does Jesus say today uh, in, in the gospel? He says, right, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And it's like, whoa, 
in full. Jesus speaking that to first century Jews, it's, that is scandalous. Because for Jewish people, right, and then for us as Christians now, that you have the Ten Commandments. And the first three commandments are about our relationship with God. When Jesus talked about what are the two greatest commandments, basically love God and love neighbor, love God, the first three commandments that are there, love our neighbor, the next seven commandments. And the first commandment about loving your neighbor is to honor your father and mother. And so Jesus is showing up and he's like, hey, if, if you're going to follow me, right, you have to love me like more than you love your mother and father. And so here he is as a man that's saying this. And so implicitly what he's saying is like, hey, I am the Lord. Those first three commandments are to before, even the first and greatest one to love your neighbor. I am the Lord. And so in our, the truth is, is that as we give our life over to God, then, then we experience conversion. Like we become more patient and more kind, more, more forgiving and merciful. And again, we're all a work in progress, including me. But there's an increase in these virtues in our life as we pursue the Lord. And so, yes, many of our relationships will improve. Many of them will because we are being converted. But also the truth is, is that the gospel, when the Lord calls us, he asks like, for radical surrender to the truth that in many ways, in, in our own hearts, our fallen hearts, right, and in the world, is it's hard and it's difficult. And so there will be things as we're pursuing Christ that there will be relationships that tension will arise or maybe tension will increase that's already there because we begin to pursue the gospel. And the temptation, the temptation is like, oh, like, gosh, like this is really hard. This is my spouse. This is my sibling. This is my child. This is my parent. This is my friend. This is my coworker. Like this is really, really, really hard. This has become really difficult as I'm pursuing the gospel. And so we begin to think like, ah, uh, like the Lord wants us all to be united, which he does. Like that's Jesus' prayer. It's his prayer at the Last Supper for us to be united. But we cannot bend the gospel truth to fix a relationship. That's where it gets difficult, right? We cannot bend the truth of the gospel to fix a relationship. Now what we should never do either is use the gospel as a weapon. To run around and like tell about, hey, look, you need to be doing this and you need to be doing this and you see this in your life and all these things. Like we should never use the gospel as a weapon. And we should seek to heal and repair relationship as much as we can. We should seek to build bridges for the sake of proclaiming the gospel to folks with how we live and how we speak. But, but there are situations in our life where it's like, mm, I love you. But I cannot say that this particular aspect of your life, like and we, could, we could go a whole range of things. One of the, the most personal things, most hot-button things, right, about like family and sexuality and marriage or all, all the stuff that's there. But there's the, the whole gamut, the whole gamut of the church's teaching. But I cannot say that this is okay. I cannot bend the gospel for the sake of healing or trying to fix this relationship. So this is what Jesus is saying, that he must be first. He must be first. That if we really want to follow him, 
that if we really want to be his disciple. This is, again, not about pointing fingers at people. This is not about going around, again, using the gospel as a weapon. Um, it's, it's trying to heal and trying to repair, but understanding that we need to remain connected to Christ in, in, in truth, in truth with him. And so the enemy is going to want to say, no, you need to fix it. You need to like, know the Lord, like being faithful to him. The second lie, if we follow the Lord, then there will be no like real suffering in our life. And this is like a real, because we kind of implicitly understand like, oh no, Jesus said take up your cross. But when real suffering comes, like something that begins to like really press into our hearts in some way, we're just like, no, no. Like, God, what, like, what, what's going on? Like, I thought you were good and this. And then he begins to say either it's like your fault or God's fault. Or the, the lie becomes, hey, see, because this great suffering is either your fault or God's fault. Now, sometimes we do commit serious sin and bring suffering in upon ourselves. True story. But many times suffering just enters our life. And it's not something that we have brought about. An enemy wants to say, mm, like, no, no, that's, that's not it. Because he wants us to begin to be discouraged. He wants us to begin to, to believe lies about who God is as a loving and provident father and all the things. But Jesus is saying, he says, hey, look, if you want to follow me, the cross will be part of your life. We should never go running for it, Okay. Do not go looking for suffering. And sometimes I meet people in great zeal. They're like, hey, I want to follow the Lord. The Lord says, take up your cross. Like, Lord, bring me some crosses. Bad idea. <laughs> that is actually the enemy. It's false understanding of suffering with Christ. Bad idea. But... But because we live in a fallen world, because we are fallen people and we interact with each other, suffering will enter into our life. And what we need to do, we need to pray first, right? Lord, come. Come, Lord. Come, come to me. Bring healing. Bring grace. And then we need to be doing, as we're doing that, all the practical things. Think of something like you get cancer, someone in your life gets cancer. It's not like, oh, here's the cross. Like... We're just going to ride this one out. Who needs doctors? No. Go to the doctor. They do all the practical things within reason, within the truth, to be able to alleviate the suffering in our life. But ultimately, too, as we're walking this journey, it's drawing near to the crucified and risen heart of Jesus. Drawing near to the crucified and risen heart of Jesus. And the Lord meets us in that suffering. And he actually meets us in a place of like purifying and sanctifying our hearts. It is hard. And then we, the lie becomes again like, oh, you know, if, if, if God is good, he wouldn't allow good people to suffer and all the things. We just need to look at the cross to see that Jesus, right, no sin in him, no sin in him, and the greatest suffering, but suffering is not the final answer. 
that Jesus actually used his suffering to win the salvation and the sanctification of the world. And surrendering it to the Father. And so as suffering enters into our life, we cry out to the Lord. And it's okay to cry out. It's okay to cry out like, God, where are you? What's going on? Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He teaches us to pray like a child with an honest heart. But also there to surrender, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. We ask for the alleviation of suffering. We ask for, for the healing of all the things. And then we take all the practical steps that we can, be it through a doctor, through a counselor, through whatever means it may be to move forward in healing and in, in the Lord repairing this in our life. But then in the midst of it too, of surrendering it to Christ and knowing, knowing that he uses it to heal us, to transform us, to configure us to his heart and to bring salvific redemption into the world. I've mentioned this before, but when I was, I was a, a young boy, I used to think that, you know, people saying, offer it up, was like a Catholic grandmother's way of telling a kid, stop complaining, you know? Hey, boy, just offer it up. Just offer it up. I'm like, oh, mama, that's just because you're Catholic and you want me to stop complaining. I mean, like, that's, that's cute. I appreciate that. But truly... It is the gospel. St. Paul speaks about that very much by uniting his suffering to Jesus and how it transfigures him. When he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, the line right before that, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. I have shared in Jesus' suffering. So therefore, Jesus lives in me. Because it is like this purifying fire. Now, if we try to go at it on our own and we try to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and all the things like, hey, I'm a Christian, I just need to offer up this suffering, just, it's going to crush you. It's going to crush us. But we go like a little child. Jesus, I'm a little baby and I'm hurting and this is crazy and I can't do this and I need you. And I don't even like that I have to have this, right? Like Jesus, Jesus before the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, if this cup could pass, like, you can, you can have it. Like, Father, if you like the cup, you can drink it. I don't want to drink it. But I surrender. I place myself in your hands. And this, this, this is where the Father takes him and raises him up. And his wounds become glorious. And they become the fount of mercy and salvation for the world. And that as we offer ourselves in communion with him as well, then our wounds also become a place where the Lord's grace enters in and flows out. In miraculous and transformative ways. The enemy is a liar. And as we begin to pursue the Lord, he speaks different lies and lies that seem reasonable in order to discourage us when difficulties enter into our life. So Jesus is reminding us, as he says elsewhere, you will have trouble in the world. Like when we have trouble, we're like, God, like, are you there? He's like, no, no, yeah, I, I, I told you it was going to happen. But take courage, he says, 
I have overcome the world. And it is the Lord living his life within us. So today, as, as we come forth to receive the Holy Eucharist, this is the heart of Jesus crucified and risen. And let us, let us let that truth soak into our life. That it's not just about the cross. Like the, the fruits of the Spirit are peace and love and joy. And there's a depth, a depth of those in our life. But, but there, just as there is Easter Sunday, there is also Good Friday in this rhythmic seasons of our life. And when those Good Fridays come, let us not listen to the lies of the enemy, but surrender ourselves like Christ on the cross to the Father. And know that even in our dying, we are being transformed because we are dying in Christ that we also will rise with him.